Good afternoon, everybody. Um, thank you for joining us to discuss Turkey's investment outlook for 2017. Uh, my name is Yanel, and I'm the executive director here at Turkish Heritage Organization. As you all know, 2016 has been a challenging year for Turkey's previously prospering economy. Political and economic uncertainty fueled by global and regional geopolitical developments continue to complicate prospects for Turkey's economy. Despite current risks, Turkish authorities continue to emphasize their seriousness about attracting and maintaining investments by focusing on a structural reform agenda. There is a lot of interest in this subject, and we have a diverse group of audience tuned to hear more about it today. And we are honored to have two distinguished guests with us to discuss the subject today. Howard Beasy, the president of American Turkish Council, ATC, a leading independent business organization, and Mustafa Ilbeyli, senior U.S. advisor at the Investment Support and Promotion Agency, known as ISPAT, the official organization for promoting Turkey's investment opportunities. First of all, I, I want to thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Same here. And before we hear from our guests, I want to remind the program schedule to our audience uh, who are currently on the line. Uh, I'd like to start with brief opening remarks uh, first, uh, about 10 minutes for each guest, and I will moderate and ask questions to our guests. We will wrap up with conclusion remarks, uh, again, for about five minutes each, and then open the floor for a Q&A. Uh, that will give us about 15 minutes for a Q&A session. In order to respect everyone's time and follow the schedule, I will make sure that we can finish on time. That is, again, for uh, five o'clock on sharp. And for the Q&A part, if you would like to ask a question, and I really want to underline this, that it should be a question, not a presentation or a statement, you need to press one on your keypad. And before you ask your question, please kindly tell us your name and professional affiliation if you have one. With that, I'd like to give the floor to Mr. Beasy first. Mr. Beasy? Thank you, Yanel. Uh, and uh, let me start off by saying uh, welcome to everybody that is on the line. And Thank everybody for uh, taking some time out of their day to, to join this call. And secondly, I'd like to thank the Turkish Heritage Organization who organizes these, uh, and Ali and you know there um, at this. I think it's a wonderful organization. They have uh, a really uh, robust agenda. I'm oftentimes jealous of uh, all the things that they're able to do uh, in this space. And so. It's a real honor for me to be here, and then lastly, of course, it's a, it's an honor to share the uh, share the virtual stage, so to speak, with uh, Mustafa Bailey out of Ispat. Uh, he and I uh, collaborate uh, a lot, and I always am looking for more opportunities to work with Mustafa and uh, promote uh, the trade and investment relationship between the two countries. So, um, welcome and thank you to everybody. So I'll start off, I guess. Uh, I'll, Start by saying I'm just I'm just fresh off a trip. Uh, I just spent uh, about two and a half weeks in Turkey. Uh, These are regular scheduled trips that I do for the ATC and its membership. Uh, the, the purpose of these trips are threefold. One, uh, first and foremost, is to get over and spend some time and in, in talking to our membership that is in Turkey. Uh, secondly, it's uh, to engage with the Turkish government and uh, continue to maintain our relationship and, uh, with, with them, of course, which is very important. And then third, we talk to potential member companies. We talk to uh, other actors and interested parties in, in Turkey and the Turkish economy um, to get a broader perspective and a broader picture. So 
uh, I guess I'll just start off by going through a couple of observations from this recent, uh, this past year and this recent trip um, as it relates to Turkish business climate uh, and um, where it's going, where it's been in the past, and, and sort of what I think is sort of the prospects for the uh, immediate future. You know, first of all, I'm, uh, I'm a big fan uh, of Turkey, and this goes back to my uh, previous career in the U.S. military, uh, which I had an opportunity to work on U.S.-Turkey military relations uh, for quite some time. And one of the things I think that's notable, and this is no secret, but it's notable is that Turkey is a tremendously resilient uh, environment um, on a number of fronts, but in particular in the business climate. And I'm sure that Mustafa will probably highlight some of that uh, in some of his remarks. But it's, it's, it's oftentimes wonderful to watch, you know, how Turkey can bounce back from these things, uh, these different shocks to its system, and continue to cre create and provide a, uh, uh, an environment that is attractive to investment. Um, this recent trip was, of course, uh, my first of the year, and it had a lot to do with some of the upcoming political uh, activities in Turkey, namely the upcoming referendum and where that's going. Um, and now that we've got the date set for that, I think it will be good to get, you know, past another one of these political hurdles, so to speak, uh, and that the environment, the investment environment will be better for that uh, once that's achieved. Uh, Turkey's undergone one of the most uh, impressive periods of growth and sustained growth uh, in um, the last, uh, let's tag it at 10 years, let's say. Um, they've continued to implement a reform agenda despite some of the headwinds that they've faced in the recent uh, past, in the recent year particularly, uh, which is notable and I think uh, only speaks again to sort of their desire to create an environment that is interesting and conducive to investment and, and growing their uh, investment portfolio there in Turkey. Um, They've increased their export in both value and variety over the past uh, several years. Uh, and I think uh, last year, despite, again, some of the challenges, I think they were uh, fairly successful in doing that. They've aggressively pursued uh, global trade. Uh, so they've opened up new markets. They are, without a doubt, a conduit for uh, U.S. companies to other markets abroad. Um, and I think there is real opportunity there for U.S. companies to use Turkey as a hub um, to find partnership and cooperation there uh, and to give them greater access to markets that they may not uh, have the connections to today. Uh, they've been technologically focused. This is obviously woven into everything uh, that Turkey is uh, seeking in terms of investment technology, tech transfer, these types of things. Some of the things driving this, of course, is the young entrepreneurial class. The average age is about 29 years uh, in Turkey. Uh, they have a really vibrant, I've had the opportunity to meet with a number 
uh, of individuals and companies, uh, really vibrant entrepreneurial class. And I think there's things that we need to do to support that, uh, that class, uh, that innovation uh, group that is there in Turkey and help them get from concept to, uh, you know, from uh, concept to uh, actual manufactured product. Uh, and I think that's an area that we could also seek for uh, greater collaboration and cooperation. Clean energy, renewables, that's been another topic uh, and, a, and an area that Turkey is really uh, uh, a leader in right now, uh, particularly in uh, solar, wind, biomass, um, these types of things. Uh, Turkey has some of the greatest incentives in, in, in the world right now uh, in terms of solar production. Uh, and this is noticed. This is noticed. And, you know, to be frank, you know, is, is there's been a wane in some interest uh, over whether it be political stability or um, uh, security environment and these types of things in Turkey. Uh, you know, others around the world notice this too. The Chinese are heavily uh, looking at uh, the, the Turkish market. Uh, you know, other actors, India, et cetera, are, are noticing these things in Turkey and, and willing to step into the void if, if there's not, uh, you know, if there, if there isn't U.S. interaction and U.S. investment, there's going to be others. Um, so I think this is something that the U.S. industry needs to look at um, and, and take seriously. Now, of course, everybody knows we talk about some of the bad things uh, in Turkey. Um, I think there is um, there's an overemphasis uh, or there's a misperception. Let me term it that way. There's a misperception in what the actual environment is in Turkey in terms of security and stability. Uh, I travel there quite often, and I'm always struck by the fact that uh, U.S. companies um, are concerned about their travel there, and rightfully so, they should be concerned about their employees. But, but I'm I'm always a little bit perplexed as to why there's this uh, this overemphasis uh, on the uh, challenging security environment um, in Turkey. I think it is. Uh, Incorrect. I think Turkey faces its challenges. Its proximity to some of today's hottest conflicts is certainly without question. But um, at the same time, the, the environment, uh, Turkey works very hard to maintain uh, its security and, and has certainly has its challenges. But but I, for one, don't feel like it's um, as concerning as it, it seems to be to many. Um, First, we talk about the current account deficit, these types of things in Turkey. Uh, but I mentioned previously there's a reform agenda out there. And, and I think once we get past, again, this political hurdle in the, uh, with the referendum coming up, I think Turkey will then have uh, you know, more focus on what it needs to do to stabilize its currency, uh, to bring that current account deficit down, to stabilize the lira against the dollar, et cetera. Um, I guess another area that's oftentimes not not oftentimes talked about these days, I think in certain circles it is, but you know, is as it relates to the investment environment, is the long-term impact of three million plus refugees, documented refugees in Turkey. And I think there's a couple of both things to consider and, and opportunities here for uh, investment strategy as well. Um, Turkey certainly has taken on. Uh, its humanitarian role in a very, very serious and meaningful way for a number of years now. Um, but the fact remains that these 3 million plus refugees 
will have to be assimilated into the Turkish economy. And that will mean trade and, and uh, training uh, for folks like that. And how, does, how do you bring those folks into uh, the economy and how do you not weigh on the labor markets in Turkey? And I think there are opportunities for uh, investment uh, and for uh, corporate social responsibility by companies in, uh, that are invested in Turkey to really help in this area and uh, create uh, long-term value uh, from that. Um, I think there is some uncertainty in the market. We've talked about, I've talked about or mentioned the political uncertainty. Um, I think the security environment uh, does play a role and I think, I think it's, it's in some cases overstated. Um, I think Turkey needs to manage its growth expectations. Uh, it is renegotiating its EU customs union, um, which will be a great thing for the Turkish economy. Of course, under the new administration here in Washington, uh, bilateral trade is the name of the game. Uh, I'm one, I, for one, see opportunities there. Um, its inflation uh, needs to be managed uh, in the near term. Um, and I had the opportunity on this recent trip to talk to another number of companies, uh, both U.S., uh, Turkish, and then also some out of the European Union. And I wanted to understand how certain companies are looking at uh, Turkey. And I think, you know, there's one, one idea here is that Turkey, the Turkish market is, is an opportune market for investment right now because uh, there is a depression in the market. So there are some values to be had, so to speak. Um, Turkey, of course, is very interested in uh, tracking that investment and maintaining that investment uh, in the near term and uh, doing a number of things to do so. So um, I think I'll leave it there. I want to open it, you know, or have the opportunity to answer a number of questions. So I want to get to Mustafa uh, and, you know, I'm happy to, elaborate or talk more specifically about some of those things. So thank you, Yanel. Thank you, Ali. Uh, and I look forward to the discussion. All right. Thank you, Mr. Beasley. With that, I'll have uh, Mr. Ilbeli. Uh, please go ahead and we'll have your remarks. Okay. All right. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank THO uh, for organizing this event. And um, I'd like to thank my, my stage partner there, uh, Harvard, for doing this with me. Um, and going over Harvard's remarks, uh, he gave a brief of, of what Turkey's, you know, economy outlook is. Everything is okay. Uh, we want. I want to kind of go over the the reasons why an investor should invest in Turkey. I know um, some of the attendees here know a lot of things that I'll be talking about, but I know maybe half of them doesn't really know what Turkey's potential is. So I want to go over some some data, uh, so to speak. And this is something that I try to go over every time I have an opportunity to speak anywhere I go to, to promote the investment environment of Turkey. This is, I guess, the description of my job there. Um, so I want to give you maybe about the 10 most important reasons why an investor should invest in Turkey. So Mr. Ibe, with, yes. Mr. Ibe, before you go ahead, I think uh, some of the audience are having a hard time hearing you. So may I ask you to speak up and be a little bit louder, please? Okay, absolutely, I could do that. Um, so yeah, as I was saying, I will be going over the reasons why an investor should invest in Turkey. 
Um, and I'll be starting with, of course, the, the main outline of the Turkish economy, the robust economy. Um, Turkish economy, as of right now, the 16th largest economy in the world, right? And uh, we have a great track record with the growth, too. Uh, between 2002 and 2015, annual GDP growth was about almost at 6% level. And uh, when you compare to the countries that are com in competition to Turkey, such as I'll be throwing these kind of the other countries' names in so often here, such as Poland and Romania and Czech Republic and Hungary, um, Turkey's annual average GDP growth rate was, as I said, around 6% level. Uh, so there's that stability between the last, in the last 13 years there. Um, and it's a great number, as you can always tell. Um, but also, if you look at the future projections, the IMF's uh, projection is going to be around 3.5%. So the future going on the year 2021-2022, um, the growth will be, will be stable and uh, in a higher than average level around the competition countries there. Um, and then let's look at the, the fundamentals of this, this the growth, the success of this growth. If you look at it, and as you know, there are certain criteria for, um, for a country to be accepted to the UN, and these are called the Maastricht criteria. And one of the most important ones is the gross public debt stock is the, G, uh, the percentage to the GDP. Now, the EU averages around 86%. Turkey managed to bring it down to 32.9% in the year 2015. So that's, that's way below the, the EU average there. Budget balance as to percentage of the GDP is at negative 1.2, where the EU average is negative uh, 2.3. And the inflation, inflation is something that Howard mentioned. Uh, of course, there, there are a number of things to do to keep inflation low, um, but Turkey actually has a great track record over the past uh, 13, 14 years in that as well. The inflation levels were at the year 2003 was almost 30%. And that steadily went down, and right now we're at 7.2%, which is, which is an acceptable and manageable uh, inflation rate for Turkish economy. And then this, this robust economy has generated um, some significant economic activity. Turkish economy has more than tripled over the past 13 years, and I'm promising more growth in the future, as I said. Uh, in 2002, the GDP was at 2.236 billion. Now it's uh, 861 billion, um, and the domestic market was the driving force behind this. The entrepreneurial uh, private sector um, contribution to the GDP growth. If you look at it, domestic consumption is at 73%, and the role of imports went down to minus 27% within the, in the past 13 years. Um, what else? Um, so let's talk more about the domestic market. Uh, so this, this growth also created a, a larger, more stable uh, middle class in Turkey too. First of all, the income per capita tripled between the year 2002 and 2015 from $3,500 to $11,000. Um, among countries with population over 50 million, only like eight countries have the GDP per capita over $10,000, and Turkey is the eighth on the list. Um, in 2001, if you look at it, the middle income 
population number was about 13 million and the low income was at 43 million. In 2012, the middle income is at 26 million and the low income is at 33.9 million. So we're closing the gap there. The middle income is getting bigger and bigger in Turkey. And this domestic market is, is further supported by the emerging urban centers across the Turkey. When we talk about Turkey, people may all maybe knowing about the um, Istanbul, Ankara, and Izmir, but we have about 20 urban centers with populations over 1 million. So this is something that I need to emphasize also for investors looking for investments in Turkey, not to just look into those cities in Turkey, but also um, the other cities with more than the 1 million population that we have. And, uh, and of course, besides the domestic market, we have custom union with the EU that allows us direct access to EU markets, right? So we have access to 510 million people. And uh, adding to that, we have 355 million people. It includes 27 countries that we have a free trade agreement with. And when you add the 79, people, 79 million people that you have in Turkey, you have an access to almost 1 billion people with, the, with these free trade agreements. And uh, the demographic structure of Turkey is also very favorable. The average age in Turkey is around 30 years of age. When you look at Europe, that goes beyond the age of 45. So Turkey has a very young, dynamic population there. The working age population is growing as uh, compared to Europe, working age population has been diminishing. And then the total dependency ratio is at very, um, very manageable levels compared to the EU. And uh, besides the, the, the young age of the population, we have a very skilled and cost-competitive labor force as well. When you look at the availability of qualified engineers in 2016, uh, 10 being the most available and 0 being the unavailable, Turkey is standing at 6.8. And again, ahead of the competition such as Poland, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Romania, and Hungary. Availability of competent uh, senior managers were, again, topping the charge right, right after Poland there. Um, and then besides having a very uh, efficient labor force, we have a very uh, cost-effective labor force as well. Labor cost per hour in manufacturing in 2015 is at $6.8. And again, this is way below Poland, Hungary, and Czech Republic. And um, then again, besides what we have as a population, also the strategic location of Turkey is very, very important. You have connectivity to key markets through road and rail and sea and air, and uh, you have access to 1.5 billion people, $27 trillion GDP, and $8 trillion trade within the four-hour flight distance. And then, as you probably all know, the Turkish Airlines has been a great factor in there, uh, making it very easy for investors to come in and out of Turkey, and they're reaching out to the regions around Turkey, flying to, what, uh, 243 destinations in 117 countries as of right now. And Turkish Airlines has been selected, what now, the, the best airline in Europe in fifth year in a row. And then, again, the strategic location of Turkey also allows companies to conduct business in 16 different time zones. When it's early in the morning in Turkey, you could be running your business with Hong Kong, and when it's later in the evening in Turkey, you could be running your business with New York. 
So this, this again, this everything that I've mentioned allows uh, a great manufacturing hub for Turkey to be, but not just a manufacturing hub, but also allow them, allow Turkey to be a management hub for these countries. And most of these countries are actually, I'm going to be listing are American companies. Coca-Cola is managing 90 countries from Turkey. GE Healthcare is managing 80 countries. Microsoft 80, Intel 67 countries, and so on. So what has Turkey done to, to improve this, uh, improve the economy and the investment environment in Turkey? So we have taken some major steps in, in terms of reforms. Uh, when in 2001, Coordination Council for the Improvement of the Investment Environment was established, the new SDI law was introduced in 2003. New label law was also introduced in the same year. Ease of company establishment law passed establishment of operating licenses. New banking law was passed in 2005. So that makes one of the strongest uh, banking institutions in, in the world. Um, ISPAT uh, was established in 2006, and hope, I hope that it's been, a, it's been a great factor bringing uh, foreign investors into Turkey. Um, there's a great overhaul of social security system around 2008. Uh, the new incentive scheme for the R&D and innovation centers was instable, uh, introduced in 2008. The, the investment in, uh, incentives has been steadily uh, been upgraded uh, since 2004. Uh, in 2009, there was an upgrade. New capital market law was introduced in 2012. Removing restrictions on foreigners' purchase of real estate was was introduced in 2012. And unifying all exchanges, stock, derivative, gold, etc., under the best was introduced in 2013. Istanbul Arbitration Center was a great addition to these in 2014. Personal data protection law was introduced in 2016. And there was a new upgrade on the investment incentive, which introduced this project-based investment incentive that I'm not going to be going over, but this is, I guess, maybe the the best investment incentive that Turkey has ever done, and maybe the best around the region. Um, also, when you look at the, the FTI regulatory restrictiveness index of the 2015, one being very close to FTI and zero being very open to FTI, uh, Turkey is at 0 0.059 level. That makes us, again, on the, the bottom of the list there, uh, ahead of UK, the average of OECD, Poland, and Russia and Canada and USA. And uh, just, to, just to think that in 2003, we were very, very uh, strict right, uh, right behind China. And the number of days to set up a company in 2006 was only 6.5 days. And this was about 39 days in 2002. So there are some major steps taken to ease the investment environment in Turkey. Um, so let me go a little bit over the, the foreign direct investment law, the new FDR law that Turkey was introduced in 2002. That, that brings the national treatment uh, to all the companies. So if you're a company established in Turkey, no matter where the HQ, the origin of that company, you're considered a Turkish company. So there's no differentiation between a Turkish and a foreign country. Uh, no restriction on foreign ownership, of course, except some critical sectors such as education and defense industry and telecommunication. Um, now, if you're not happy with the, with the results of the Turkish courts, that you could take your 
cases to international arbitration courts. Um, you have guarantee of transfers, the money that you make in Turkey after you pay in your due taxes. You can take all that money out without any questions. Um, you can buy real estate in Turkey now. The employment of expats is allowed. Of course, there are some rules in there. So for every uh, for every foreign employer that you have, you have to be employing fast Turkish employees. But then again, this was not even allowed before. Uh, bilateral investment protection treaties with 75 countries that we have, and some of the most uh, significant ones that I would like to mention is Austria, China, France, Germany, uh, Netherlands, Japan, UK, and US. Um, and then we have double taxation agreements with 80 countries around the world as well. And uh, as Howard mentioned, the, the EU perspective is, again, in a, a very important role for us, still in a very important role for Turkey. When I'm asked uh, whether Turkey will be accepted to the EU or not, uh, I guess the, the answer that we always give is that it's not that important that we would get in. We do our best, and then we bring the Turkey's economy standards up to the EU standards. So again, maybe not being in the EU in 2008 was a was actually a blessing for Turkey. But the, the fact that Turkey tries to bring its standards up to the EU standards, and that's what's most important as of right now, and hopefully in the near future we'll be accepted in the EU as well. And then uh, I also briefly mentioned the incentives that Turkish, uh, Turkish government provides. These include the manufacturing incentives, employment incentives, um, some special in incentives for different uh, sectors such as engineering, architecture, design, software development, and so forth. And then you have this technology de development zone that brings the R&D support there. Uh, and then you have the separate R&D incentives that allows you to get the R&D incentives without having to be in a technology development zone. And then, and then you have the special zones such as the organized industrial zones. So. The incentive system has four arms in it. So you have the general incentives, the regional incentives, and then large-scale incentives, and for strategic incentives. Um, basically, depending on where you make your investment and how big of an investment that you make and what sector you make your investment in, you can go up to 100% of your investment back in the due taxes, which is, again, uh, I guess, as, as Howard said, we have one of the best investments. Um, investment incentive systems in the world. Um, I will not be going over the project-based investment incentives, but that actually allows investment support up to 200% of your investment, again, which is very new, and this one is uh, uh, decided case by case by the Ministry of Economy. So the outlines are, are not all out there yet, but uh, again, this brings out great opportunities for especially the larger companies of the U.S. And then the, we create this, created this R&D-friendly ecosystem in Turkey. Um, now, you have 100% test deduction of your R&D expenditure from your tax base. You have 50% of your employer's contribution shall be covered by Ministry of Economy and Finance. And then you have the stamp duty exemption, custom duty exemption, and so forth with, with, uh, with regards to R&D. So, this allowed great improvements in the R&D environment of Turkey. Number of researchers, uh, in the year 2001, we had about 40,000 
now we have almost about 200, uh, I'm sorry, about uh, 90,000 uh, R&D researchers in Turkey. R&D spending also have increased. In 2001, it was about $3 billion, and it's about almost $15 billion. So, um, you know, by this environment created in Turkey, let me mention some of the companies that are doing R&D in Turkey. Ford is in, on top of the list there. Huawei is doing R&D in research. Bosch isn't doing R&D in research. Toyota, Mercedes, and so forth. Um, before I conclude, I would like to talk about some of the sectors that would be very, very important for um, for foreign investors, especially the uh, the U.S. investors. In the automotive sectors, we're the 17th largest auto producer in the world, second largest auto source to the EU. We produce over 1 million vehicles per year and export around $18 billion. Same goes with the machine and electrical equipment, largest TV and widespread producer in Europe and export around $21 billion. Energy, we have a growing demand in energy. We're in the most important energy corridor in the world, uh, proximity of 70% of world's proven primary energy source around Turkey. Um, we have untapped renewable resources. The Turkish government is going to record about $40 billion of investments in the renewable to reach the, the centennial goals, the 2023 goals. So there, again, as I have mentioned, there are great opportunities with renewables. And uh, if you look at the end results of this, Turkey's value has been appreciated by foreign investors with increasing SDI in Turkey. Between the years 1973 and 2002, that 30 years, Turkey was able to attract about $15 billion of investment. Now, when you look at the years between 2003 and 2015, only in that 13 years, Turkey was able to attract $165 billion of investment. That's a big leap there. Uh, number of foreign companies in Turkey, we have about 5,000 companies in 2002. Now we have about 47,000 companies in Turkey. And then the top investors about the FDI stock in Turkey, the top of the list, of course, is Germany. And then you have UK, you have Netherlands, and then Luxembourg. Um, the reason why the Luxembourg is on this list is because, say, an American company actually uh, prefers to do their investment through their Luxembourg branch to Turkey because of the, the tax benefits. But it's hard to track where that investment comes in. But then again, if you look at the Ministry of Economy's numbers, uh, Luxembourg is in the, in the fourth on the list. If we look quickly to the um, Turkey and the U.S. relations when it comes to the trade and investment, Turkey has $12 billion of investment coming from U.S. as of 2014. 1,700 companies are operating in Turkey from U.S. In two, as of 2016. Uh, trade volume is at $17.5 And we attract almost a million uh, U.S. citizens coming to Turkey. And again, I would like to mention some of the companies that have been doing um, very successful businesses in Turkey. There's Ford, 3M. 3M just uh, two years back, they opened their super hub in Turkey. Uh, Coca-Cola has increased their investments in Turkey. Amgen did a big M&A in Turkey. Um, Dow did a partnership with AXA in Turkey with an investment of right around $1 billion. And I can give you more examples. Um, before I conclude, I'd like to tell you a little bit about what the agency does. We are directly attached to the prime ministry. 
this is the Prime Minister's investment support agency here. Um, we have a private sector approach uh, with public sector capabilities. Most of the people that work at the agency comes from private sector. So when we assist uh, U.S. companies and any other countries' companies, we tend to be sitting on the investor side of the table. Um, we have this one-stop shop approach throughout your investment. Whatever you want to do in Turkey, whatever you need from Turkey, like from the agency, could be um, basic market data, finding a land to invest in, finding a partner to invest in, assisting assist with applications and investment incentives. We do it all as the agency. Um, and yeah, I think I could conclude it there. All right, uh, thank you very much. You basically covered a lot of ground there and provided a lot of information. But I want to be uh, running, quickly running out of time, so I'm going to ask a question first with uh, Mr. Beasy. Um, starting with the U.S. administration here, we did a, another panel towards the end of last year. Jennifer Meal, uh, from the, uh, the executive director of the U.S.-Turkey Business Council of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, uh, she said something that is important about the administration. Again, keep in mind at the time the uh, Trump administration was not in, uh, in, 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 at the White House yet. Uh, she indicated that it's, uh, the administration looks pro-good deals. Uh, as a result, it could provide a lot of ad advantages for both countries to do business. And I want to ask Mr. Beasy, uh, at, at this point, within the, based on what the Trump administration has done, how do things look? And you're engaged with both the Turkish businesses and American businesses. Um, how do they interpret the new administration? That's the first part of the question. The second part is, as you know, Turkey is preparing for a referendum uh, and on a system. How do the investors view this development? And all these stats that we, uh, you, you provided and Mr. Inbeli provided um, are good. But the, if you look at the narrative that is out there, especially particularly in Washington, D.C., everybody talks about the upcoming referendum and how that would impact Turkey's economy. And I, wanna, I think our audience would like to know um, is this the uh, gorilla in the room, so to speak, and whether people are confident about it, Turkey's future, given the, there's a referendum coming up? Okay, great. Yeah, thank you. It's a great two-part question. Um, I won't even pretend to to know all the ins and outs of the current administration. I think you know one of the most interesting parts of my last trip uh, to Turkey was that I actually was getting sympathy from Turkish companies over the uh, political environment in the United States uh, during that uh, during that trip. So um, you know it's it's an interesting environment here in Washington for those that are here and, and sit here. Of course, uh, you know it's 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 always sort of a uh, bifurcated uh, sort of assessment, and that there are some things I think that are very positive about the current administration, and then there are other sort of uh, things that are quite perplexing. As it relates to Turkey, I think you know there's from the very uh, from the election forward, there's been a lot of optimism about what the new administration could bring to the table as it relates to the political relationship between the two countries and then uh, how that would then have a trickle-down effect to increasing our economic uh, and investment uh, between the two countries. Uh, I think you know, we're still in the very, very early stages and, and really where a lot of this hinges is, is in this political and strategic arena. Two weeks ago when I was in Turkey, of course, the presidents had their first conversation over the phone. 
the readout from that on both sides, uh, both U.S. and, and Turkish side, was that it was a constructive call, a good call. But again, one that's very focused, and it's been pointed on a very few issues right now uh, that we need to solve and we need to uh, make some progress on in order to sort of open up the opportunity, if you will, for, for greater uh, gains in, in some of these other areas. So number one, again, no secret, YPG and the U.S. Uh, continued support to the YPG as it relates to ISIS, counter-ISIS, uh, and, and Syria. And, you know, again, I'm not going to pretend to know where the administration is going on this, but we have seen a few indications that might uh, lead us down a path to look at that we are looking at other options there um, and options that would be more in line with uh, our NATO partner in Turkey. Um, and so I, for one, am hopeful of that. Uh, and I think it will have market improvement just on the overall tenor of the relationships that, that will then, as I say, filter down into many of these other aspects um, as it relates to our economic engagement and uh, investment environment. Um, I'll use just a quick example. If you go back to 2009, when the Obama administration first came in, again, there was a tremendous amount of optimism about what President Obama and the change in administration was going to bring. That same sort of atmosphere, uh, you know, eight years later has, has come, you know, come full cycle again for the Trump administration. Um, and from 2009 to 2012, the two governments did kind of line up, and they did, uh, because of the relationship between the two presidents, or the president and the prime minister at the time, this opened a lot of doors. There were some uh, mechanisms created to encourage greater investment and cooperation between the two countries, and, and we did. We got out of the way. We went from $6 billion to $20 billion in trade you know, just in a three-year time, uh, time window. So I think you know, that's, that's hopefully what we can achieve here going forward is to get the political speed bumps out of the way, uh, get more lined up on our strategic uh, interests between the two countries, and, and then we can move forward on the investment side. Uh, referendum, as I mentioned in my opening remarks, was on everybody's mind, of course, in Turkey uh, as it uh, comes here in, on the 16th of April. Uh, at, the, at the time, actually, when I first arrived, it hadn't been set yet, yet so that was much of the dialogue and discussion was when and if it was going to happen. Obviously, this is a pivotal moment uh, in Turkey. Anytime you're uh, looking at a, at your constitution and, and making, uh, in this case, 18 proposed changes to uh, the constitution, uh, this, this is meaningful. Um, of course, there was a spectrum of uh, feeling on this. There was, of course, those that were uh, against changing from a parliamentary system. You know, why, uh, why change from something, you know, this idea that why should we change from something that's been working and serving the Turkish, uh, 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 Turkish people for uh, a number of years now um, to, of course, those that were very supportive of this change and, and this idea that by uh, consolidating under a presidential uh, presidential system, that by consolidating uh, some of the power there, uh, it would allow Turkey to uh, to work from a position of strength 
and to uh, you know deal with some of the challenges it has uh, in, both in the region in its uh, foreign policy uh, and also in its economic sphere. So and then everything in the in the middle. Um, I think the reality is that you know the current environment in Turkey is one that's going to be completely consumed for the next uh, month and a half um, with with the run-up to this. Um, and I think what you're going to see, whether it, it, it succeeds or doesn't succeed, um, is, is again, going back to this theme of resiliency, I think you're going to see a Turkey that will continue forward regardless. Now, if it succeeds, you're really, in my opinion, what you're doing is you're, you're enshrining uh, much of what the environment has been for the last uh, year or two. Um, there's no secret that President Erdogan has um, taken a very aggressive role in his uh, position as the president. Um, and so many of these reforms are, are simply sort of codifying that uh, into, the, into a new constitution. Um, I think there is some uh, uh, potential concern over a, too much consolidation of power into one entity and one office uh, in Turkey. Uh, there is some, uh, certainly some concern over um, the division of power, so to speak, uh, amongst the legislative, uh, the judicial, and the executive uh, in Turkey. Oftentimes it's referred to as being a similar system to the United States. And, uh, and as we've seen here front and center in, in the new Trump administration, we've seen this division of power and how it works in this country from uh, the uh, immigration reforms that the president has sought through executive order and having uh, the judicial step in and uh, strike that down. So I think it's tremendously important that that is the case. Uh, there is uh, the separation of power uh, and a balance, a checks and balances sort of system. Um, and um, that will be uh, tremendously important as we go forward in, in Turkey. Uh, for the stability and for the uh, outside investor perspective. All right. Well, uh, we have 13 minutes uh, till uh, before five o'clock, so I'd like to respect our time and uh, give the uh, questions to our audience. I'd like to remind again: if you want to ask a question, please uh, press one on your keypad, and then I will be able to see this on on, on the screen. And once you have once I give you the voice, basically the microphone, you need to I will kindly tell us your name and professional affiliation. Um, in the meantime, I'm looking for, again, questions. If there is one at this point, I don't... Until we get a question, uh, Mr. Ilbeli, I'd like you to very quickly, if possible, respond to the new administration, the Trump administration's pro-good deals and how you interpreted this and how this has been interpreted um, in, in Turkish environments. And is there any positive uh, going on? Oh, well, one second. I think we have one question here. I see a couple questions. Uh, I'll go with uh, this one. Hello? Hello? Anybody out there? Anybody out? Yes, uh, Mr. Burbur? Uh, yes, speaking. Uh, yes. Hi. Hi. Could you please introduce ourselves and ask a question? Yes. Hi. Uh, this is Omur Bülbül, President of Native Advisors. Thank you very much for uh, coordinating this teleconference. 
Uh, and thank you very much for the presenters uh, for giving us this uh, latest uh, update on Turkish uh, investment environment. My question is uh, going to be related to the the upcoming, uh, not the upcoming, but my question is going to be related to uh, the perception of the Turkish uh, investors and Turkish companies. Uh, who are looking to cooperate with the with American companies in Turkey, especially this question goes to uh, Harvard, if possible, uh, who has been in Turkey recently. Uh, what was your take on Turkish uh, companies' views on uh, partnering with American investors and especially the American investors' uh, perceived uh, wait-and-see approach in what's going to happen in Turkey, especially uh, throughout this referendum process. Also, uh, the second part of the question relates to the, uh, as you said, Howard, in your opening remarks, uh, bilateralism uh, is the name of the game. That's what you said. And uh, how do you see uh, this approach from Trump, Trump administration uh, to Uh, potentially extending trade and economic relations with uh, countries at the bilateral level, and how do you see Turkish-American relations playing into that? Thank you. Thanks, Onur. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of innovative uh, inviter, uh, advisors, and I uh, love his uh, economic summary, so he probably knows far more about some of this stuff than I do. Uh, but I'll do my best to answer the question. So, First question was interest in in uh, by Turkish companies uh, in investment dollars from U.S. companies, and, and um, I think that there's there's still very strong interest there. Um, you know, kind of going both ways. You know, there one of the things that I haven't talked about um, is investment interest in the U.S. market out of Turkey, uh, and that's that's something that's been uh, quite strong here going back to last year, and I expect uh, more this year. Um, and I think there's a number of reasons for this that we could talk about more. Uh, but interest in Turkey, you know, there's there's kind of – I talked about perception and the perception problem here in the U.S. and what the environment actually is in Turkey. And there is equally uh, sort of an idea or a perception of America or American uh, interest uh, or American as, America's agenda in the region, so to speak, um, in Turkey. However, I think that stays more or less walled off in the political sphere. Um, when it comes to investment, uh, I think Turkish companies are, um, they like this model. They, there are uh, some good examples of U.S. and uh, Turkish companies coming together to form joint ventures uh, in, critical, uh, in critical sectors. So I think that appetite remains. Now, as you point out, there has been somewhat of a wait-and-see attitude, and I think that wait-and-see attitude goes back to last year uh, and, you know, is has only sort of been extended as we've had uh, different events that have occurred um, in the both political and, and, uh, and security space that have made it more of a wait-and-see environment. Um, right now, I think Turkey's uh, been pretty patient on that front, However, as I said uh, also in my opening, you know, if, if U.S. companies aren't going to step in uh, and step into that breach and, and look for the opportunities and the good deal, so to speak, uh, then other countries are and other companies uh, from these countries are. And I think we see more and more of that. So 
uh, you know, other countries do realize that there is significant value uh, in investing in Turkey. And, and, you know, we're frankly, many U.S. companies are going to be sort of left to the side, so to speak, uh, if they don't, uh, if they don't take advantage of it. Uh, on the bilateral, uh, you know, bilateral trade is the name of the game. I, I, I do believe this. I stand by this. You know, our new president, one of his first acts was to formally take us out of TPP. I think that was dead before he ever came in, but but nevertheless, formally. Uh, I don't think you'll hear any talk of TTIP uh, under his administration. Uh, so I think the opportunities that, that exist are one of, uh, you know, sort of a very transactional nature. He's a business guy. He sees things through the business lens, which is if I invest X, what do I get in return? Or if you invest Y, what can I give you in return? And so uh, to the extent, you know, that we can show how the U.S.-Turkey investment environment brings value, jobs, uh, uh, you know, dollars uh, uh, to each economy, I think we can be very successful in looking for greater collaboration between Turkey and the United States uh, here in 2017 and beyond. Uh, I think, again, as I mentioned, there are a few things that we need to sort of handle on the political front that will really sweeten that quite a bit uh, and make that uh, a true reality here as we march on into 2017. All right, thank you. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to address uh, in this question, uh, Mr. Ilbeli? Um, well, actually, I think, especially from the Turkish Turkish investors' perspective, first of all, let me tell you this: despite that that uh, kind of friction between Turkey and the U- U.S. in the latest parts of the Obama administration, uh, American companies are still the top of the list for Turkish investors and Turkish people to to work with. Uh, so that that really doesn't change. We're all Turkish companies are always looking forward to, to partnership with the U.S. companies. And again, that, uh, so it only leaves that wait-and-see attitude of the U.S. companies as a, as a deciding factor there. On Turkey's side, I think everything is smooth with American companies. They're hoping and looking forward to the American investments in Turkey. I'm looking for questions. Again, as a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, please press 1 on your keypad and I will be able to see your name on the screen. Uh, yes, I have one question. Mr. Mike Meyerowitz? Hello? Mr. Meyerowitz? Mr. Meyerowitz, can you hear me? Yes, I okay. can hear you. Can you hear me? Can you hear me yes. okay? We can okay, hear you. Please go ahead. Okay. So my question to Mr. Il Bailey is, he mentioned some areas or sectors which appear to be barriers to entry, like telecommunications and education. Could he expand on that? And my question for Howard, uh, and I I thought both presentations were were just uh, terrific, very informative. Do you think that once the referendum is in place, this will lead to, let us say, a perception of greater stability that U.S. investors may want to take advantage of. Right now, it would appear to me to be a certain amount of uncertainty about the political climate in Turkey. Do you see the referendum being a stabilizing influence, at least to settle those political issues? 
Okay, first of all, uh, yeah, go ahead, Mustafa. Right, yeah. What I was telling about the, the education and telecommunication is that there are restrictions of ownership for the foreign companies. So you cannot own more than 50% of those, you know, educational institutions and then the telecommunication companies in Turkey. It's just a general national security issue there. Um, again, that's just a small restriction in some specific sectors, but other than that, of course, in every sector, you don't have any, any kind of restrictions like that. That's what I was talking about. Um, Mark, on your on your question on the referendum, uh, I mean, it's a obviously a basic tenet uh, of investment uh, is, of course, political instability is never conducive to uh, a stable investment environment. And I think, you know, of course, um, over the past two years in Turkey, you've seen a number of, you know, just elections, everything, you know, that can create, you know, just uncertainty, where is it going to go, who's going to win, uh, these kinds of things um, has impacted uh, and does impact the investment environment. As it relates to the referendum, I think this is this is certainly t the Turkish government hope uh, that it will result in a uh, reality of greater stability uh, that will then uh, encourage greater investment or, or uh, those that are questioning or, or waiting, as we talked about, wait and see, will go ahead and invest uh, in in Turkey, um, but you know I think the tenant, as Mustafa's laid out, of, of the Turkish economy and, and where it's going, and again this sort of consistency and resilience of the Turkish economy, and the consistency and desire, uh, they maybe don't always do it right, but they certainly show uh, a strong desire, and the current government I think is very well aware that the economy is, you know, as, as they say in America, you know, it's the economy, stupid. Um, you know, the economy is really the thing that that uh, has kept uh, the juggernaut going in Turkey and, and kept um, their base of support very strong in Turkey. And so they're very aware of this and, and will do what they need to uh, to um, stabilize and create the stable investment environment to encourage investors to return. So uh, it is my hope. Uh, that once we get past this this latest uh, uh, political uh, decision in Turkey, that, that that will, in fact, be the case and it will return. All right. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, we are right on time with that. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody. Uh, again, we're honored to have the distinguished guest, Howard Beasy, the president of the Tur American Turkish Council, ATC, a leading independent business organization, and Mustafa Ilbeyli, Senior U.S. Advisor at the Investment Support and Promotion Agency, ISPAT, the official organization for promoting Turkey's investment opportunities. I'd like to make a quick reminder about an upcoming event as a Turkish Heritage Organization. For uh, next Monday, uh, we are having another uh, panel, basically, at the National Press Club. You can find out more about it on our website if you're interested in learning more about the U.S.-Turkey cooperation in Syria and the role of U.S. in the Middle East. Uh, we'd like you to attend this event. Uh, again, details are on our website. You can register for this event. Uh, if you haven't signed up for our newsletters, please go to our website and subscribe to our weekly newsletters. And again, thank you very much for participating. And Mr. Beasy, Mr. Ilbeli, thank you for all this information you provided, and we look forward to hearing more uh, as we progress in 2017. Perhaps we'll do another one after the referendum and see how things are in Turkey in terms of investment climate. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. look forward to it.